Hello, I'm Brad Irwin, and welcome to episode two of Dad's Decades. This is a podcast I started to celebrate the life and work of my dad, Travis Irwin. And the reason I'm doing that now is that my dad is retiring this year. He is 70 years old, and uh, he has been in Christian ministry for almost 50 years. My mom is also retiring. And uh, this little thing called the global pandemic uh, ruined our plans for a big retirement party with family and friends from all over the country gathering together to celebrate dad and mom and their life's work together. So when it became clear that uh, we were not going to be able to gather the way that I had planned, I started thinking about how can I Uh, how can I honor my parents and how can I celebrate their lives and how can I share that with all of the people who care about them? And that's where the idea came from to do this podcast. Uh, Now, this isn't just, uh, this isn't just for you. I have selfish reasons for doing this as well. It's that um, as I am in my mid forties now and raising a son who is seven years old, I find myself Uh, thinking a lot about the lessons that my dad and my mom learned as they went through life raising raising me and my two sisters uh, and doing the work that they do. And so uh, this podcast gives me an opportunity to ask my dad lots of questions about uh, each decade of his life, what was happening in that decade, uh, tell you know, tell some of the stories, but then also ask him to share his insights and lessons learned and wisdom. And I know that's going to benefit me, but I'm also pretty sure that it's going to benefit you as well. And so I'm glad that you're making the choice uh, to listen to my dad, Travis Irwin, share his life story on this podcast. Now, if you didn't hear the first podcast, Uh, That episode was a broad overview of my dad's life. Uh, I asked him just general questions about his life uh, as a dad, as a husband, uh, as a minister, as a Christian minister working in churches. And so if you want a nice broad overview of, of dad's life, that would be the place to start. In this episode, rather than starting with the first decade of dad's life, We are starting with the decade before dad was born, the 1940s. And uh, I wanted to know what were dad's parents doing in the decade before dad was born and how how did their upbringing and how did their uh, first few years together as a couple uh, and starting a family, how did that create the world, so to speak, into which dad would eventually be born on March 9, 1950, uh, because uh, dad's life was influenced not only by the things that happened after he was born, but the things that happened before he was born. And so in this episode, dad is going to try to use his imagination a little bit and recall stories that he heard from his parents uh, to share how he thinks the decade before his birth would then shape the decades that would follow over the rest of his life. So I hope you are ready to enjoy uh, my dad telling stories about his parents' lives in the 1940s. And without further ado, let's listen to Dad's Decades, episode number two, the 1940s. Okay. And we are recording. 
We are on the air. Go ahead. We're on the air. I'm back here with Dad. Episode two of Dad's Decades. And so, uh, Dad, we are talking about a decade you weren't even born yet today. We're talking about the 1940s. Right. Because I thought it would be a good idea to, uh, to think about your parents and what they were doing in the 1940s leading up to your birth in 1950, uh, just so that we could, uh, we could think about how life shaped them in the decade before you were born and then how that shaped your life as you grew up uh, in their family. So let's just start with the facts. Uh, what was your dad's name? What year was he born and where? Mm. Uh, Walter Worth Irwin, he was born in Memphis, Tennessee. It was 1925, June 17th, I think, was Dad's birthday. June 17th, 1925. That Flag Day? That's how I always remembered his birthday. It was on Flag Day. Really? Okay, well, yeah. the 17th or the 14th, somewhere in there. I think it's the 14th. Okay. That we'll have to look that up. <laughs> we have a lot and of June birthdays in our family. It's kind we of do have a lot up. of June birthdays. People yeah. keep marrying people who are born in June, too, and that just yeah. complicates things. There you go. What, what is your mom's name? What year was she born and where? Her name was, before she married dad, was Darce Marie Dial, D-I-A-L. She was born in Memphis, uh, August. I get her birthday mixed up with Uncle Paul's. Either August, 30, August 21st or August 17th, 1927. Does that sound right to you? Okay. <laughs> Sounds right to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, so 1940, all right? So let's talk about 1940, 10 years before you were born. Where were your parents in 1940 and what were they doing? What do you think? Well, in 1940, I would say that they were both still in high school. Um, they got married, I think, in 45. So I think they were still in high school. Uh, that would have made Mamaw only about 13 years old and Papa about 15. Yeah. And they were living in uh, Memphis. Uh, I can't tell you exactly where in Memphis. Um, I know Mamaw went to Whitehaven High School. But anyway, Papa had a paper route. And uh, I think he, 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 he met your grandmother at church. We can talk more about that if you want to. Mm -hmm. anyway, they're in high school. Okay. In 1940, so Papa was 15. By my math, from the birth years you gave me, Papa was 15. Mama was 13 in 1940. What, right. kind of, um, what kind of home life did your parents have? Talk about the relationship they had with their parents and their, their families. Two different stories altogether, and that's true with any of us. Dad grew up in a family of nine children. His mother had been married before, and her husband died in the uh, flu epidemic in 1918. His name was Rutland, and there are three or four Rutlands. There are four Rutlands. Then she remarried a man by the name of Bethel Irwin, and she had five children. I think Dad's kind of in the middle there somewhere. And so uh, as time went along, Mr. Irwin left. He was asked to leave. And he left, and so Mrs. Irwin, or Lula, uh, Irwin uh, raised nine children. And by that time, those children were older, and especially the Rutland children, the Rutland, Rutland boys in particular, Gene and uh, Milton, uh, helped raise those children. So dad grew up in a home uh, where, and you as dad, 
but his dad was not a very nice man and his dad wasn't around a whole lot and he didn't have much of a relationship with his dad. When it came to Mamma Irwin, he didn't have much of a relationship with her, not because she was a mean person, but because she was a working person. She was trying to feed the mouths of nine children and keep a roof over their heads. So she was working all the time. She was a chocolate dipper uh, for one of the candy factories in Memphis. And so they were all busy working. And uh, Mamma, on the other hand, uh, comes from a home where uh, her mom and dad stayed together till, they, till one of them died. And her father worked very hard and provided for them. Uh, many times he had to walk to work a great distance. Uh, but he, mom and Aunt Ruth, her sister, were very much loved and very well taken care of because her father stuck around and worked hard. Her mother stayed at home. She was a homemaker. And Mamma Dial would make clothes for the girls and have the bath water and supper ready whenever uh, my mom's father got home from work in the middle of the afternoon. And the girls had to be ready for their dad to come home. They were all dressed and ready to see their dad when he came home from work. Two radically different uh, families. Uh, so that, does that kind of answer the question? I can't think of any more details at this point, but I'm sure there are other details I can come, come up with. No, that answers the question. How old was Papa when uh, when his father left or when he was asked to leave? Well, uh, you know, I, that's a detail I don't know. I know that uh, Bethel Irwin died in 1955. I was five years old. That's how I remember that. He was only 63 or 65 years. His dad was a young man. My dad's dad was a young man when he died, but he had abused himself, abused his body. Uh, I'm assuming that he was an alcoholic, maybe a smoker. Not not a very virtuous man at all. Uh, I remember my dad telling me the story. He he and my other uncles would sit with their father uh, and take care of him, even though he was not much of a father to them. They took care of him. So when he was when he was uh, dying, you mean? Yeah. When he was when yeah. he was sick. Uh, when Mr. Irwin left, I don't have a clue. Yeah. I, that's a question I never asked, but. I know after a while he left, and uh, from what we know, there was a divorce between him and dad's mother. Was there ever any relationship? Okay, I'm kind of, you, you, you may have to ask that question again. You get kind of choppy there. Sure. And was there ever any abuse in that relationship that you know of? Not that I know of. I just probably think there was neglect. Um, um, I can't say for certain he was unfaithful, but if I was a bit man, I'd say he, he probably was. Um, where was uh, where was Papa on the birth order? I think it's uh, Peggy, BT, Dad, Sid, and John. I think Dad so. He's, right he was he was the middle of the Irwin kids. Uh, which one of his siblings was he closest to? He loved all his siblings. He loved his uh, stepbrothers and sisters, and he loved his brothers uh, dearly. Um, he's close to. He was close to all of them. Um, he had probably more in common with um, with Uncle Be Uncle Bethel, Uncle BT. Um, Uncle Sid was in the army. He kind of lived a different lifestyle. Uncle John was the, the baby, and Dad had left home. And was on his own. Uncle John, I think, was still home at the time. Um, aunt, 
Aunt Peggy, he was close to his sister, his uh, only full sister. But he was, you know, if you were to sit down and talk to my dad long enough, you'd say it seemed like dad was close to all of them. He spoke very highly of his siblings. Uh, he was very close to them. Uh, but I know he was close to Uncle BT, and and I think I think you and I were too as well. So I, it's your. So it sounds like Mamaw grew up in a in a home that was really stable, right? Um, and kind of affectionate and. Papa, so his dad left, his mom was working all the time. Right. But he and his siblings were close because they had to be. I mean, it, what would you characterize their home as happy because they had each other? Or, I mean, it sounds like all of them really had to work hard to survive. This was the yeah. 30s, right? But yeah. um, they, they enjoyed being together. They played uh, stickball together out in the street. Um, I mean, they had enough kids there to start a baseball team. Right. Yeah. And Nine. they, you know, they didn't travel together because people didn't travel back then. They didn't have any money, but they worked together. Uh, one thing they did together sometimes once a month, sometimes uh, every other month was they would move. They would move from one house to another house hmm. and they weren't not, they were not neglecting to pay their rent. They had moved to, they had moved to another house to save money. Maybe the house behind them or down the street would be, a couple of dollars cheaper to rent a month and they would they'd pay everybody all nine of them would pack up move everything down the street <laughs> my goodness that's uh, yeah the family that moves together stays together I wow guess. my yeah. goodness all Pretty right well. so how did your parents then end up meeting um there was a little church called mckellar church of christ and uh it was in the neighborhood where mom lived and dad lived mom lived on west Nor norwood dad lived on east norwood and they just happened to end up uh, at that church now my mother was not a member of the church of christ neither were her parents but someone had invited her some i think a sunday school teacher or a member had invited her and and her sister ruth to go to church and so they were at church they went to church at mckella is mckella avenue church of christ still there to this day they've been invited to go to church to mckella avenue church of christ and they were there and every week, Lula would lead all her children into the sanctuary, into the auditorium. I mean, all nine of them, just like a mother duck with her ducklings behind her, lead them all in. And they'd all come in and file in to a row of seats and sit down. So this went on you know, for years, but my mother was going to church there. She was, uh, I think she was 16, if I remember, when she tells the story. And so she walks, dad walks in with his brothers and sisters and my mother points to him, to her girlfriends who were sitting there. She says, I'm going to marry that boy. Hmm. So that's when they first met, first knew of each other. I'm assuming dad knew about her. I would say he did. Yeah. Any idea why she picked him out out of nine siblings? Like, <laughs> was there something about Papa that, you know, he, he had brothers what was it about him that caught her eye or, or got her to pay attention to him i really don't know uh he had jet black hair jet black wavy hair he was a good looking guy yeah uh, their, their own boys were good looking guys and of course uh, if any of my cousins hear this they'll shoot me but he's probably the best looking of the bunch <laughs> at least my mom calls him. was he yeah <laughs> there you go so who who approached who first then did 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 mamaw try to put herself 
in his line of sight or did he notice her and ask her out? How, how did they actually meet? I'm assuming they went to the same school, which I th I'm pretty sure they did, but also dad had a paper route and mom's family was on his paper route and he would deliver papers there. I think twice a day. Is that right? And so he would see her, but I think they were dating somewhere in that time anyway, somewhere in high school. I don't know who made the first, I would say dad in that culture, the man had to make the first move. Yeah. I'd say dad probably made the first move. That's a detail that I need to ask your mail about. So. Yeah. So how they were dating in high school when they were teenagers. Right. And I don't know, like it's unusual now for people to date when they're teenagers and then end, end up married. Uh, I don't know if it was unusual back then, but what, what do you think uh, you might have to use your imagination here or fill in some details from stories that you've heard, but what do you think it was like when, when they were dating in high school, what kind of couple were they? Do you think they were a good match? Uh, did they go well together from the start? What, what do you know about their, their relationship during those teenage years? Well, mom could have dated any boy she wanted to. She was a very popular, very pretty girl. She could date, She could have dated any uh, young man in the school, probably in the city. Dad was uh, a little less a little less secure than mom was. In fact, a lot less secure. He was very jealous from time to time, very defensive, and very protective. And uh, he wanted to protect his property. And that's a terrible mm -hmm. word to use, but it's, you know, he wanted to protect his interests, I should say. It's a better word. So, uh, you know, they would do very simple things like get a, get a, get a, a malt or a shake or a, go see a movie or something like that, or just walk together. I mean, my dad, my dad had a paper out, but paper boys don't get paid a lot of money and he just didn't have a whole lot of money. And many of the times uh, he and his siblings would give the money to their mother so they could eat. Mm -hmm. so have, a, have, a, have electricity, which not many people had back then. And so they could, you know, have bus fare and things like that. But it, it was just very, very simple relationship. Mm -hmm. So when, when you say that Papa was, was protective, was he a, was he a fighter? Like how would he, <laughs> how would he defend, uh, how would he defend what he, he thought of as, as his, did he, how did he handle those situations? Were they but real there, or imagined situations? No, there was a real, there was a, there was a real situation. Uh, I'm trying to think of this man's name. Um, if your mom were here about asking, but there was a man in Memphis went to high school with mom and he always loved mom. Uh, it's a very common name. It's a Tennessee name. But anyway, uh, mom, I don't think mom ever went out with him, but he joined the Marines and he came home and he came to mom's house. He wanted to take her out. He wanted her to see him in his Marine uniform. What was that guy's name? But anyway, he went to mom's house and dad showed up. This guy's a Marine. He's fully trained. He can make a greasy, he can make a greasy spot out of my father. He was tall man, very strong. And I don't, I don't know what, there was no altercation. There was no exchange of throws or punches, but dad made it pretty clear. This guy was out of line. Mm -hmm. You know, mom was a part of that mix at that time too. She was a part of that conversation. So it was very protective. Um, I'll tell you a little story. 
And maybe it's a good thing we don't know this guy's name right now. But anyway, Overton was his name, John Overton. And uh, he, uh, I forgot what I was going to say now, I got sidetracked. Um, many years later at their, um, at mom's like 60th high school reunion, maybe her 65th, uh, maybe even her 70th, John was still alive and he went up to mom and said, uh, uh, he said, Doris, I always, always loved you and always wanted to marry you. And why, why wouldn't you show an interest in me? She says, I didn't love you. Hmm. I love Walter. Hmm. Cute story. My mom told him. That's good. Okay, that that makes me want to ask you. Sorry, we had one of those little breakups in the internet connection there for yeah, a minute. Right. What were your parents like in social circles? So how how you know were your were your parents social people uh, when they were in their teens? Uh, how did they socialize? What do you know about that? I don't know the details, but mother definitely was a socialite. But she knew everybody, went everywhere. She liked a, she liked a good party. She liked, uh, she was a good moral woman, pure moral woman, but and young lady. But she liked parties. She liked people. She could get, she got invited to all the parties. Uh, Dad, on the other hand, was shy and backwards. And of course, he he didn't have time for a lot of that. He had to work all the time, and so he, he just and he didn't have the money that mom the mom was not wealthy they weren't wealthy and i don't want to leave the impression that she was living in a mansion on one side of the of the road and he was living in a, a dump on that's just not the case but she was more likely to have money i mean her her father would would ha, uh, let them have an allowance at the corner store to buy anything they wanted my dad didn't have that privilege but anyway socially mom was very much the socialite dad was kind of always working I'm sure dad went to some parties though. I'm sure he mm -hmm. himself of everyone he could, he was invited to that he had time to go to. Yeah. What kind of people, I'm sorry. What kind of people did they hang out with? I mean, who, who would you see around them in the 1940s? I think mom would have an array of friends. She had just tons of friends. She was, she was the popular girl in high school. Dad, dad's friends. He had friends. Uh, but mostly his friends were his brothers and sisters. They did a lot of things. They did a lot of things together and in their neighborhood. Sometimes, uh, the neighborhood kids would come over and they would play with the neighborhood kids. And one of the favorite games was stick ball. Nobody could afford a nice glove or a nice baseball, a nice bat, but they played stick ball. That's a cork and a, and a broomstick. That's the same thing as baseball. And, uh, yeah. his friends, his friends would be the kids in the neighborhood. And in high school, I just would assume that dad was just too busy for a lot of friends. These are good questions. These are things I've never really looked into, but Papa has told me a lot of stories about playing in the neighborhood. Uh, he loved sports and he, he tried to get involved in sports. Uncle BT got very much involved in the sports, did very well uh, across Memphis. But dad didn't have that, that uh, physical agility, agility as Uncle BT did. But he, most of the friends would be his, his own siblings and the kids. Yeah. Well, Papa broke his leg. Yeah, twice. 
you were talking about athletic. I know he, he broke his leg a couple of times, so one of his legs was shorter than the other, right. which is why he wasn't able to go uh, to World War II, right? That's correct. Pat Ball wasn't able to, to – to, but he, my recollection is that he wanted to. Like all of his, didn't all of his brothers go in the, go in the military of some kind? Papa's the only one who didn't. Right. His uh, brother-in-laws went, uh, the Rutland boys went, uh, all the Irwin boys went. I'm just kind of going through through my mind. Uh, Uncle John joined at the very end of the war. Uh, Dad did try to join. Dad's very patriotic. It was. Mm -hmm. So they turned, he'd go in and sign up. Then he'd take the physical and they'd say, get out. So he tried. Yeah. It's not like he didn't yeah. try. He tried very hard to get in twice. And when you talk about Papaw being a little more insecure, you know, having a physical disability that prevented him from being as good in sports as his, as his brothers and not, you know, not being able to serve uh, during World War II, I mean, how do you think that affected Papa's, you know, self-image. Um, how did he feel about himself not being able to do the things that his brothers were able to do? That's some. That's something we never discussed. But you can, we could uh, watch Dad's life and realize there were some things there. Dad never felt sorry for himself. That's just something you didn't do in those days. Uh, Dad never put himself down. Uh, Dad did take Dale Carnegie, and that gave him a lot of confidence. Dad was successful in a lot of things that he did, uh, but we really believe that he had a lot of insecurity. Um, Dad pretty much had to uh, build his own life, <clears throat> get his own education. His mother could not do a whole lot for him, so he had to pretty much do it on his own. So, so from that standpoint, he should have felt confidence about what he had achieved in life. But then on the other hand, um, there were, there were some things there that told us that there were some insecurities there. Um, uh, you, you would never know it to talk to the man though. Mm-hmm. He was very private. He would not share his feelings a whole lot. I've seen my dad cry twice. I mean, I've seen my dad cry once and it scared me to death. Uh, I've seen my father afraid once. When, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, my father was afraid. My father never was afraid. Hmm. And the first time, the first and only time I ever seen dad cry was uh, when he had uh, quit traveling and working for a bond company and he bought a dry, dry cleaners so he could stay home. And he was working 70, 80 hours a week and it wasn't going well. And dad was just a broken man. He just had worn himself out trying to provide. And he broke down and wept. It just scared the life out of me as a kid. And so I don't know if those are insecurities or what they are. Uh, but uh, I saw some weakness there in those, those, two, those two times. I saw his human side. Let's put it that way. Dad was, Dad was bigger than life to us kids. We never questioned Dad. We never backtalked Dad. We never doubted Dad. And uh, you, you'd never think the man was insecure. He was also... He, it was also very shy and I got my shyness from him and I'm, I'm very much an introvert and he was an introvert as well, but he didn't, he didn't act like it. He acted like he was a very outgoing person, very smart person. And he was, 
in many ways. So what if in private then, so between your parents, your mom was outgoing and social and confident and she came from a, a family that seemed to be, uh, they weren't rich as you said, but all of their needs were provided for. And then right. Papa had to kind of raise himself. You know, he didn't have a dad around. His mom was working. He was close to his siblings, but he wasn't able to do some of the things that they did. Um, and you said he was, he was a self-made man. Like in some ways he had himself to rely on shy, insecure. So talk about the dynamic in the relationship then. Like what, what, what do you think they talked about when they were alone in the 1940s? And, um, if you were a fly on the wall when they were, you know, I don't, what year did they get married? Do you recall? 45. 45. Okay. So like if you were a fly on the wall in those early years of, of them uh, dating and getting married, like what do you think their conversations were about? What do you think the dynamic was in their relationship? Wow. I really, I really don't know. I really don't know. Uh, they've never shared any of those conversations with me. No. My mother's still, you know, your mamma's still alive, and I'd love to ask her some of those questions. I think they're great questions. Um, I know, I know they had some fights. I know they had some disagreements, and that usually was over dad's jealousy of her. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I've, I've heard that. Uh, I think they even broke up a few times. Um, she probably, she probably, <laughs> she probably got put out with dad because of his insecurity. Mm -hmm. And his jealousy. Hmm. He was, Dad was not a raving maniac. I don't want to leave the impression that he was. How do you think that manifested itself? What, what's that? The uh, jealousy or the uh, insecurity? Uh, I, I kind of think of those two things as being related to each other. Okay. Speaking from experience. <laughs> okay. Okay. You get the Irwin DNA, that's for sure. Um. Well, it, it just it just came out. It, you you're talking about after they got married and throughout life? Mainly early on. We, we can revisit this some more as time goes by, but I'm interested in early in their relationship. So they got married in 45 and they were, your dad was 20 by my math and your mom was 18. Yeah. So they were yeah. very young. Yes. Uh, you said they even may have broken up a few times. So, um when your when your dad got jealous and insecure and they fought, um, tell us what do you think a fight a fight would look like between your parents? You might have to use your imagination there, but how do how do you yeah. think that looked? I don't have a clue. I do not have yeah. a clue. Just just some disagreements, but they'd always get back together pretty quickly. Yeah. But uh, when when they were young, when they were twenty and eighteen, dad was dad had uh, gone to Free Hardeman College. And he had, he was pretty much finishing up about that time. And, uh, he married mom. And, uh, in fact, they were, he was still a free heart of him because aunt Donna was born in 47. So he, two years later, he was still at free heart of him in 1947 and aunt Donna was born and she almost didn't make it. Mama, uh, memo almost didn't make it. It was a bad, bad uh, birth. Hmm. Uh, but then later they transferred to Nashville where they went to, went to Lipscomb. When I, when we were at, um, Green Hills Church of Christ, a few 
back in February. You remember that? And we parked across the street. Yes. Did I, I showed Beth, did I show you the little house where I, I lived yes. as a little one? Okay. All right. That's where we lived. And, and Papaw went to college at Lipscomb. And he yes. also preached in a lot of little country churches way out in the boonies uh, south of Nashville. And, and Mamaw stayed home with us in a hot upstairs apartment. <laughs> well, I want to. I'm sorry the internet connection so bad this morning. I don't know if it's me or you. It's probably both of us. I uh, Let me ask you a couple more questions about your parents' relationship before I switch to, to their faith. Uh, what Do you know, have they ever talked about what their dreams were? You know, young couples, they they have dreams, right? They They talk about the life they're going to build together and what they're going to do you know what dreams your parents had in the 1940s? I think uh, I think they both had the dream of being married and, and starting a family, having a home together. Dad had the dream of preaching. That's what he wanted to do. He was preparing to preach, be a full-time preacher. He had a, a mentor and a friend uh, in uh, Brother Holland. His name was Holland. I can't think of his first name, but Brother Holland was the preacher at McKellar Avenue in Memphis. And Dad really looked up to him. And he wanted to be a preacher like Mr. Holland or Brother Holland. So through some arrangements and through God's providence, God was, uh, God, Dad was able to go to Free Hardeman and go to Lipscomb. And then he became a, a full-time preacher. He started churches in Memphis. But that, that was Dad's dream. And Mom... I'm assuming that had to be part of her dream too, to be a preacher's wife. She was a preacher's wife until he died in 2013. And uh, I've, I've never asked mom that. Right now, mom is doing uh, story worth and she's answering questions just like that. Uh, and uh, that, that question hasn't been asked yet, so I don't know. But I, I, you know, she, was in, she was in love and she was going to go where dad went. Mm -hmm. That's the way young ladies were back in the day, those days. They got married, had children, followed their husband all over the country or, or all over the world. What are some of the problems you think your parents faced uh, in those early years of their relationship? I mean, that can be anything from, I guess that's another way of asking, what were they afraid of? Or what, what did they feel like they had to overcome? Uh, like the big things. You mentioned Papa was at Freed Hardeman College, so he was he was he had managed to get himself into college, for example, uh, and he was still in college when Aunt Donna was born. And you brought up that, you know, uh, that Mama almost, you know, it sounds like Mama almost died giving birth to, to Aunt Donna. So, <coughs> what were what do you think were the the big problems that they really had to face together in those early years? They lived in a very small apartment and uh, off campus. And then dad, dad worked in the cafeteria, if, if I remember correctly. So the, the, big, the big deal with young couples then, as, as it is in most cases today, was money. They had plenty of love. They were at a really good college, had lots of friends there. Um, I've never heard my parents complain about those days, but I am positive. There was always that challenging having a, 
the challenge of having enough money for rent and electricity and food. And when dad preached having money to put gas in the car, probably had, he probably had to borrow a car back in those days and uh, to pay tuition and, and to pay for books. And uh, that was on the tail end of the Great Depression, but the economy was turning around and had turned around a great deal. But I would say those were the great challenges they had. That was the challenges your mother and I had when I was going back to college after we married as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I can't imagine that's probably what it was. They were otherwise they were in heaven. It was it was it was a great situation. But money was a constant uh, trial to them. Yeah, here's a here's a story that Papa, Mama, and Papa told me themselves. And anyone who's a Church of Christ person listening to this will get a kick out of it. So one of the things they did while they were at Freed Hardeman uh, College and they were living in that little apartment. Uh, I believe they were renting that apartment from Rubel Shelley's parents. And so they babysat Rubel Shelley. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, I ain't heard that one. Um, when, when Rubel Shelley was president at Rochester College, and, um, and I, I, I mentioned that to, to Papa one time, and he, he, he told me to, to mention to Rubel Shelley next time I saw him that, my grandparents remember changing his diapers. So, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, there's a there's a little Ruble Shelley reference for Church of Christ people. Okay, so let me ask you this question then, Dad. Uh, let's let's change the change the channel a bit. Who taught your parents about God? Uh, Mama Irwin, Grandmama Irwin taught my dad. And someone taught her. She was she was not of the Church of Christ faith. And she had been invited by uh, a preacher and a lady to attend a tent meeting or tent revival. And she went and she obeyed the gospel. So she taught her children and she took her children to church in Sunday school. So they were taught that way. Mom, like I said, was not raised in a church. Her parents were good people, but they weren't religious. And so she went with her sister to McKellar. They could walk, they could walk down there. They had been invited. They were members of a, a class they enjoyed, little kids class. So they went and they were taught by Brother Holland and by Bible class teachers. That's where they got their faith. And my mom, somewhere in there, became a Christian. I don't know all those details. Like that's that's another good question I could ask her sometime. So you've you've brought up Brother Holland a few times. Um, Mama Lula, Papa's mother, took them to, to church. Right. And that's where Papa met Brother Holland, right? Right. And and Mama met Brother Holland. Um, so was Brother Holland, uh, you know, I think Papa might have mentioned him one time as, as, as a father figure of sorts. So talk about their relationship with Brother Holland. And were there any other giants in their in their lives as they learned the faith and grew in the faith there were a lot of spiritual giants in my dad's life definitely because he was uh he'd gone to free hardeman he was going to free hardeman later on he'd go to lipscomb but he also went to harding graduate school uh, when it was in searcy he knew a lot of people yeah i think dad knew everybody in the state of tennessee and arkansas and mississippi georgia he just knew a lot of folks and he traveled a lot, met a lot of people, but he had a lot of spiritual giants. 
Brother Holland was the one who did their wedding. And he, Brother Holland, was the one who tried to get some support for Dad, monetary support, so Dad could go to Free Hardeman. And so he was, he was Dad's, I guess, first spiritual giant that I that I'm aware of. Dad and Dad and Mamaw Irwin and his family may have gone to church elsewhere, but when they moved into the neighborhood over on East Norwood, they just walked down the street. There's a church. I guess they went to the Church of Christ. That was the closest. And uh, they, like I said, they moved all the time. Did they? Uh, did uh, did your parents stay close to Brother Holland after after they got married? And I think so. I think so. I think so. It was more difficult to to uh, keep up with people in those days. Uh, if you moved out of Memphis, uh, like if you moved out of Memphis, a long distance phone call was almost prohibited for most people. They couldn't afford them. There were no cell phones. Uh, it was prohibitive for you to, for you or for anyone just to jump in a car. A lot of people still didn't have cars. It was right after the war. Cars were not affordable for most people. You couldn't jump in a car and drive down to Memphis from Henderson, Tennessee. So I'm sure they kept up with him the best way they could. That probably was through snail mail or word of mouth. And uh, I, I don't know any stories related to that particular question. Um, there's something in my mind that's telling me that they were definitely aware when he passed away. Mm -hmm. They went home for that. But dad and mom were always uh, pretty much away from Memphis where her parents were and where his family was because of preaching. Uh, he was at Free Hardeman, then he was at Lipscomb, that's Nashville, and then Hard he was uh, had to drive all the way to Harding. I don't know if his dad drove to Searcy from Memphis or Nashville, but anyway, after that, he ended up uh, he was in Memphis for a while, establishing congregations, and he ended up in Columbus, Georgia, and Winona, Mississippi, and then back to Nashville for his kids. So they were always away, but back in the day, even when your mother and I got married, it was difficult to communicate, even by phone, because it was so expensive. Yeah, yeah. If you had unlimited funds, it was a different thing. Oh. But that's, that's the only way I can answer that question. Yeah. I... Uh, my friends and I talk about growing up and our parents telling us to get off the phone, you know, setting, setting timers next to the phone whenever we called our friends in other towns. Right. You, you said your dad wanted to be a preacher. Is that what he wanted from fairly early? I mean, you were emphatic about that. Your dad wanted to be a preacher. I think so. Um, I, think, I think he wanted to preach. I know his mother wanted him to preach. I know Lula. Okay. Irwin wanted him to preach. Lula wanted me to preach. And you know the rest of that story. Hmm. She, but Lula wanted dad to preach. And I think dad really admired uh, Brother Holland. And he wanted to preach because he had such a great example in him. And he kind of ideal, idealized him. And I think that's, that's how it came about. What it, about preaching appealed to Papa so much? What do you think of just, what about preaching do you think made him want to do it so bad i don't have a clue no um, there's nothing there's nothing romantic about preaching uh, I, i've done it for 50 years there's nothing romantic about it at first it is he may have been he may have had a romantic uh caricature of preaching you know uh people like you and people are nice to you and people need you um 
those things may have gone through his mind. But Dad, I'll tell you one thing, Dad, Dad had a great love for lost souls, period. That's really why you do what you do as a preacher, because you love people and you love their souls and you want to see people saved and you want to see people go to heaven. So I think that was probably his motivation. And he admired uh, Brother, I want to say Tom Holland, but it wasn't Tom Holland. I, Brother Holland just was the epitome of that. And Dad wanted wanted that. Uh, a lot of the guys, um, uh, let's see, they, they got married, what, in 45. A lot of guys came back from the war, not necessarily his brothers, but a lot of men came back from the war, World War II, and they turned around and went back to Europe. They went back to France and Germany and England and other parts of Europe. They went back as missionaries because they saw how lost people were. They did not know about Jesus Christ, and so they went back. And they probably came home with that zeal, and, and Dad picked up on it as well. But Dad's always been a soul winner and been interested in souls. And so I think that's why he went into preaching. He thought he could do good here in this country, and he did. He did a lot of good and brought a lot of people to Christ and established a lot of congregations. But his love is, he loved the Lord dearly, and he loved, loved souls. Where do you think that came from? Well, like I said, it could have come from uh, Brother Holland, definitely. It could have come from Fried Hardeman. It could have come from David Lipscomb College. It could have come from uh, Harding Grad. It could have come from the soldiers coming home from home. Um, it could have come from his mom. His mom was not a Christian and a lady. Uh, I want to say her name was Carruthers. Uh, it's been a long time since we, I've heard these stories, and, I, and normally I remember the names, but this lady took an interest in my grandmother and taught her, and she became a Christian. And Dad loves that story, and he likes to emulate that story by, by doing the same thing with others. That may have been a great catalyst for Dad doing what he did in preaching. Mm -hmm. It could have been just a combination of things, everything coming together. There was a great revival of religion during these, these days. The churches of Christ just exploded, just exploded all over the map, all over the world. And I think my dad got caught up in that fervor. And I, it, it was from his heart. Now, later he got out of preaching. That's another story for another time. But uh, I, think that's, I think a combination of all those things contributed to him doing what he did. You don't go into preaching for money, that's for sure, or for uh, romantic reasons. Well, what about Mama? You, you said she seemed to want to be a preacher's wife. What about being a preacher's wife do you think appealed to Mama? <laughs> Dad. Early. Dad. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, 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 that was the time when you as a woman, you married, you had children, you started, you had a family, you went where your husband went. And you supported him. And I think that's what my mother would say right now if you were interviewing her. That is, I went with him because I loved him and I loved you children. And mother loved church work. Mother um, supported dad, uh, made a good home for dad. Later she went to work. Um, she uh, opened, opened her home to people. Dad was always bringing people home and she would feed them. She would she would, uh, uh, you know, make sure there's a bedroom and comfortable 
uh, accommodations for visiting preachers and people that were traveling. And mom enjoyed that because she's a people person. And so I, it worked out really well for both of them. It was a win-win situation. Uh, I don't I don't ever remember mom saying she was unhappy being a preacher's wife. Uh, there were some difficult situations that came up that she wasn't happy about, but she was always gladly serving others. The story's told of a time when Willard Collins, who was the vice president of Lipscomb, came to hold a gospel meeting in Columbus, Georgia, and mom fed him and gave him a place to stay. And uh, about four or five years later, we ended up in Nashville. And he had told her back in 1958, if you're ever in Nashville and you need anything, you come find me. And she did. And she said, Brother Collins, I need a job. And he got her a job. Hmm. It's a good story. You that is a good story. Here. But she, mom was very supportive. Uh, mom, mom is a realist. And she'll tell you there's nothing romantic about uh, the ministry, but she was very supportive. She was a great minister's wife and a great mom. And here's a tough class, supported dad, supported the church, did a wonderful job. She has, I don't think my mom has any regrets. Hmm. Resentments. Uh, so let's, uh, we got to wrap it up here. I know you have some place to be. Uh, two, two more questions, dad. Sure. How do you think, so your, your parents be, became Christians when they were teenagers at the McKellar, uh, the McKellar Church of Christ in Memphis. And then that, you know, your, your dad wanted to be a preacher. Your mom wanted to support your dad. So over the course of those years from the time that they started going to church and um, uh, became Christians and then committed themselves to ministry. How do you think your parents' faith changed and grew over those years? Uh, kind of like your faith and my faith, you know, just the longer you live and the more, uh, the more you see God working in your life through the good times and the bad times and God opening doors for you and closing doors. Uh, I think their faith grew a, a great deal. Um, mom has a super strong faith. God did, I mean, God, <laughs> dad had a great faith in God as well. Even when he died, he had a great faith in God. Uh, of course I didn't see them when they were younger. Uh, I saw them when they were in their twenties, probably, but I was a little kid. I wasn't paying attention. I was being a little kid, but, uh, my, my parents had a great faith. I'll tell you, there's a phrase that mom and dad always used. Um, they always, the phrase they use is this, and I use it today, God will take care of you. Always has. Uh, they lived it. They knew, they knew it. I've lived it. I know it. It's a fact. He's still providing. He will not stop until he provides me a home with him forever. But that's the kind of faith they had. I don't know a lot of Christians that feel that way, mm. at least verbalize it. I mean, mm. I mean, but God, they, 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 they went through some very thin times. They went through some very difficult times with my aunt Donna when she was being born with me when I had colic, when dad almost died because he was allergic to penicillin. Um, just difficult 
dangerous situation, they know for a fact God will take care of them. Mm. Has done it. But I tell you, that, they won't back away from that one. And they've been saying that to me for the past 20 or 30 years, maybe the past 50 years, in fact, the past 60 or 70 years, but especially the past 30 or 40 years. Who, who do you think taught them that? Where did they get that? I think they discovered that on the, the Bible. The Bible teaches that mm-hmm. we sing the song, God will take care of you. You know, that's all, to many people that's in theory, but they actually saw it. They got, they got married. They got through the difficulty with Aunt Donna. They got through Fried Hardeman. They got through David Lipscomb. They went through uh, Harding grad. They went through McKella, um, uh, Kalioka. Uh, yeah, McKellar, uh, uh, Kellyoke, Tennessee, and another little small town down there, which is now a big town. They went. Th- they saw all this stuff. They went through Winona, Mississippi, which uh, was uh, a, it's a story in itself. They went through getting us at Lips into Lipscomb. They went through Columbus, Georgia. They went through uh, starting congregations in Memphis. They saw so much, so so many times how God had worked in their lives and in the lives of other people, and and they just. It's just, you know, it's just one of those things that just comes out of your mouth automatically because it's true. But they believe what the Bible teaches, but they, it's another thing to actually experience that personally. Once you do that, you, you can't go back. You'll never, you'll never change your mind. And I've lived under that banner all my life. And it's, it's a fact. It's not just a theory. It's a fact. If God says it, believe it. Because it's true, you got to put your faith in Him. You need to seek Him, seek Him and His will first. But he'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. He took care of you, kids, when we raised you. We had some difficult times, but He got us through. Here we are. I think all three of our kids, all three of you children, are doing very, very well. You're all married. You all have you have nice homes. You have good jobs. You have good spouses. Uh, you have a child. I mean, you're all doing well. That's God taking care of my children. He answered my prayer. And you're all Christians. That's another thing I prayed. And uh, he's answered every prayer and he's taken care of every one of us. No doubts. No doubt in my mind. Well, that legacy has reached me as well. That's, and it has come from you and mom. It's also come from listening to Mama and Papa tell their stories to me. Uh, through the years. So we got to set up the next episode and bring this one to an end. The next episode is going to be the 1950s. And so (laughs) we we know the uh, TV shows, they sometimes leave you with a cliffhanger at the end of the show to set you up for the next one. So let's end this episode with uh, what is your birth story? March 9, 1950 is when you were born. So the 40s are coming to a close. The 50s are starting, and Travis Irwin is born right there at the turn of the decade. Tell us your birth story. Right now? Yeah, what's your birth story? I was born in the same hospital that Elvis Presley died in, and that, that's in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, we were in, I, I, that, That's all I know right now. I better talk to your mamma. I'll get some more facts together. What's the old saying? I was, I was born on March 9th, 1950, but I don't remember much about it. Yeah, but uh, I was I was uh, uh, I had colic for three months, just like you did when you were born. 
Is that right? And I put your papa into bed. Yeah. It, it made him sick. I mean, I can't, he, really? he, he couldn't get any sleep. Your papa couldn't sleep anyway, even under the best of circumstances. But anyway, uh, 1950, beginning of a new decade. And, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know any other details other than those details right there. I think they were glad to see me come. You were in Memphis at the time. We were in Memphis. Papaw was doing what? I would say Papaw probably. I'd say Papaw probably was done with Frieda Hardeman. Uh, he may have been between schools. Okay. Uh, he may have been working. Um, I know he was working he was working with different congregations in memphis he uh may have been making plans to go to lipscomb uh and he may have gone to lipscomb pretty soon after that because i was a tiny little boy when we went to lipscomb um, but uh dad worked for memphis light memphis light gas and water uh during that period of time that's what he did uh mamma took care of kids and uh Dad was, dad was going to school at that time. Uh, he may have been over at Harding. I don't know. I just don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying to make all this make sense. You know, you can't be three places at one time or two places at one time. But the, the chronology, I kind of get it out of order and getting it exactly, I can't get it exactly right. But I, I think he was going to school, but he was, going to, he was working for Memphis Light Gas and Water. He had, to, he had to have a job to feed his family. Yes. He, he may have dropped out of school during that time uh until he he could get back and uh he, he had to be at lipscomb 52 53 right in there he had to be there 51 52. he may have worked and then gone back to lipscomb gone to lipscomb in the early 50s mm -hmm. and, uh, that's another story for another time yeah well i had to listen to my birth story at least once a year oh yeah to, to this day so you need oh, yeah. to ask you need to ask mamma to tell you your birth story i can't believe that you're the one that's you're the one that always tells me my birth story every year, even though I've heard it. So I'm surprised that you don't know your own birth story. So we need to. Well, I, w I was there for years. That. I, was, I was 20, 25 years old when you were born. When I was born, I was zero. I know. I'm just saying you're the parent who always tells me my birth story. So I'm surprised that you didn't get that from one of your parents always telling you your birth story year we after year. Well, we did not make a big deal out of birthdays. Your mother when I married your mother, your mother is big into holidays and birthdays and travel and all this stuff. My family was not into all of that. So, uh, she's the one who brought that, that, um, that, uh, idea of birthdays are important. And of course your birthday was important because I, you were my, you were my firstborn and you were my son. And I was very excited and very proud. So, I'm going to remember every de every detail of that. Yeah. But that, that, that's something I never, I, as, a, as, a, as a person growing up, I, I didn't care about the details. But you probably didn't either, but you got them anyway. Because that was a great, that was a great day for us. And Akron, for me. Yeah. And for me. Okay. Well, hey, Dad, thanks for an hour of speculation on <laughs> what your parents were doing in the 1940s. That sets us up for... Uh, for the 1950s, which you were there for all 10 of them. So uh, all 10 years of the 1950s. So now we get to start asking questions about your childhood 
and your upbringing and what it was like to be in your family as a as a kid. Um, so I'm really excited about about that, and I hope that uh, hope you've enjoyed. Yep. Talking about your parents a little bit today. Yep, they're not here to to defend themselves. I'm sorry. <laughs> if Mamaw ever hears this, I'll get corrected, and that's fine. I would want to be corrected. I want to get the story straight. Well, we'll make sure she hears it. All right, so, you have a great day. All right, give, Dad. Uh, give Tracy and Daniel a hug for me. Tell them we love them. I'll do that, Dad. Love you. Love you too, Ned. Take care. All right. Bye-bye Bye. now. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you along on this second episode of Dad's Decades. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dad talk about his parents in the 1940s, the decade before he was born. And now next episode, we actually get into Dad's real life. He was born on March 9, 1950. And I have always enjoyed listening to Dad and his parents tell stories of the 1950s and what life was like for them then. But more than just entertaining stories, I think what you're going to hear is how the decisions that my grandparents made and the things that they taught uh, their children, including my dad, became rules of life for my dad and themes for his life and his ministry that will pop up uh, decade after decade that dad passed on to me and that I'm passing on to my son. Uh, the way it should work in families. So there's a lot of fun and entertainment and uh, just great storytelling coming up in the next episode, but also some deep, deep wisdom that I know you will enjoy as well. So join us very soon for episode number three of Dad's Decades, the 1950s. Look for it wherever you get your podcast, and we'll see you soon.